I'm Madeline, and I'm a writer and cultural critic. I'm Dave. I'm a comedian and actor. Welcome to Genre Reveal Party, where we talk about TV and movies through the lens of genre, its definition, its limits, and what we can learn by exploding them. Each episode, one of us chooses a TV show or movie to discuss with spoilers, because you don't need to have watched The Thing to enjoy the podcast. We're in season two called We Don't Need Another Hero, and today we are talking about all four movies in the Hunger Games tetralogy. The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and Mockingjays 1 and 2. We're not covering the new sequel, not sequel, sequel, prequel, Mm -hmm. The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, because it still costs $20 to rent, so fuck that. Also, we have a guest on this episode, an actor, yoga instructor, dramaturg on my first one-man show, my partner of almost a decade, (laughs) and like Primrose Everdeen, Friend to cats, most importantly, Hope Barnes. Hello, Hope. Hello. Welcome, Hope. Uh, Thank you. So Hope is legitimately the most brilliant observer of live performance and media that I know. (laughs) And she's the one who introduced me to these movies. So we're bringing her in to talk about them. Also, we we do have a sponsor this episode. Uh, I just saw who the sponsor is. (laughs) <laughs> you will we'll start to hear you know you, you listen to podcasts you start to be like oh okay stamps.com is sponsoring a lot of people you hear you know so I, I don't think we're original in this but today we are sponsored by chat gpt because i did use chat gpt to generate the plot summary for this introduction because i was just trying to get it get it tight and mm-hmm. then it ended up pretty fun I, I think the Hunger Games probably needs less summary than anything we've ever covered. So I'm just kind of try to do it quick. I will tell you, I asked it to, I asked it to give me three paragraphs mm-hmm. summarizing these four movies. It kept giving me four. I said, make it three. I said, make it an introduction to the podcast genre reveal party. And then I said, write it in my voice. The comedian Dave Marr. Okay, so oh, wow. here, here's what that is. Okay, so here, here's the chat GPT generated summary of these movies. Hey, party people. Welcome to the genre reveal party. I'm your host, Dave Marr. Apparently, <laughs> I'm the only host. <laughs> and today, we're delving into the Hunger Games series like it's a buffet of dystopian drama. In the first flick, we've got Katniss Everdeen volunteering to play a deadly game of hide-and-seek, or rather, hide-and-don't-get-killed. Alongside her partner in crime, Peta Malark, they give the Capitol a run for its money and spark a rebellion that's juicier than a Capitol feast. Now, Catching Fire. It's not just a catchy title. It's a whole revolution barbecue. We're talking quarter quell. 
previous victors, and a rebellion plan that's more complicated than explaining why PETA keeps making those bread references. I think that's the closest thing it gets to like a good joke in this. <laughs> Get ready for strategic moves, unexpected alliances, and enough twists to make your head spin like a capital hovercraft. <laughs> Mockingjay Part 1 takes us on a journey where Katniss reluctantly becomes the poster child for rebellion, dealing with more drama than a capital fashion show. The psychological toll of war is hitting harder than my last comedy open mic, setting the stage for the <laughs> ultimate showdown in Mockingjay Part 2. Full-scale assault, unexpected alliances, and a wrap-up that's more satisfying than a post-rebellion victory feast. So grab your popcorn, kick back, and let's party in the world of the Hunger Games on this genre reveal party extravaganza. <laughs> wow. So that's my new personality. I don't know. They think you're a real party guy. Yeah, you're <laughs> a real party guy. <laughs> Who only knows how to make similes. Their idea of comedy is yes. just like a this kind of feast. I wish you had read it in a different... I like the, the AI Dave that you came up uh -huh. with but i kind of some of that i wanted to hear in a more ai voice you know oh like mm. mocking jay part one takes us then my last comedy open mic is that what you're yeah thinking? something like okay you know it's a whole revolution barbecue <laughs> you know so we'll see how long the sponsor lasts i have a feeling uh, i sabotaged it as well as the ghost energy because we know they're listening so yeah, that's real. Like a so, ghost. <laughs> before we jump into the sort of free-for-all, I want to explain a little bit a little bit about why I chose this franchise. Because mm -hmm. there is a lot of fun stuff to talk about, uh, frustrating stuff to talk about. There, We could do several podcasts just about how much PETA sucks. So we are not going to yes. get to every crevice of these. Um, but, okay, so our project with the podcast at large is genre, but we organize these seasons by themes. And as impossible as it might be, I'm always thinking about, like, getting to the bottom of our theme. I love an impossible task. So, like, nailing down, like, what is a hero? What is a villain? All the shades in between. Are there essential qualities to these archetypes? The Hunger Games is probably the most classically heroic of the things we've covered. So that was my thinking in having it in this season. Yeah, you're also, right. it is traditional it, genre wise, it, more so than most things we cover. However, there are slight shades of difference between each of the four movies. I did give the homework of making all of us come up with a different genre title for each of the four installments. Oh, Thank you God. for, for I appreciate you both. You kept me up really late last night. I, <laughs> just thinking of genres. <laughs> I can't go to bed, sweetheart. I'm genre brainstorming. <laughs> I more just like woke up and then I was mulling over them. It gave me something to continue mulling over in my insomniac hours. So, like a Katniss nightmare, you woke up like thriller, dystopian. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it was overwhelming, but I am. It was kind of fun. They are well, four I think different the genres. Way, so. I think the genres it uses also relate to the way it's portraying heroism. Mm -hmm. 
I also think we are at a point in the season, folks don't know this yet because they don't know the episodes that are coming up, but I think we can use the Hunger Games less, there's no vamp, well, I guess there are kind of vampiric things in mm-hmm. the fourth movie, uh, those little white, the, the descent sperm guys, yeah. But sperm guys. <laughs> as, as kind of a transition from the vampires of our early season, into we've got reality TV coming up. Yeah. We've got liars coming up. Mm-hmm. And I think so I think this can be sort of a bridge for us to uh, survivor next week and then inventing Anna probably the week after, I, I think depending on uh, times. I don't I don't think we're I, th- I think we've got those nailed down enough to to commit to those, right, Madeline? And even if we fail, even if it's we don't, not really okay, it'll deal. be something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our sponsors will withdraw from our. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we'll lose ChatGPT, Dave. You spoke too so, soon. <laughs> so that that's that's my table setting for all of this. Now let's chat. Madeline, do you want to talk about watching these movies with Thule? Because I think that's where I – I know Hope and I were very curious. We're like, man, we'd love to hear what Thule had to say about these movies as an actual young adult. I mean, that is one of the things I really want to talk about is it, are these movies kids' movies? Um, and that's like that's my big genre question too for all for all mm-hmm. of the films. Um, they get darker and darker. It's kind of like it starts way darker than the last Harry Potter movie <laughs> ever gets, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and then goes deeper. Um, so yeah, I was really thinking a lot about would these be better if they were R rated, um, and. Who would they be for if they were R-rated, right? It's there's something really interesting at the the core of them that they kind of feel like adult movies um, that only kids will like. So, <laughs> you know, which is sense. like the opposite of how I feel like kids stuff. You, you know, the Pixar model of like, oh, it's for kids, but they're secret adult. Yeah. Jokes, you know, it's kind of like, I, I don't know. I think it is still a four quadrant movie or whatever um, that it, it gets the old people with Donald Sutherland right? <laughs> and Julianne Moore or something like that, you know, the prestige of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I was, I was really curious to hear what you all thought about that. And I don't know my relationship with Thule and movies we don't watch movies with like a huge amount of violence, but sometimes movies like that are kind of more like this. I don't know that the violence is a little bit defanged in the movies, right? Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. you could see it getting a lot more kind of escalated very easily. Um, but we just, we usually just watch r-rated content that's like r-rated because of language right or like plot plot themes and things like not not because there's any like sex or violence or especially sexual violence in them um so i don't know i was 
that was kind of a weird thing that we kept talking about is this is really intense. Like these themes mm. are really dark. This is actually really hard to watch kids killing other kids, you know? Yeah. And so those, yeah. that was kind of the, the content of our conversations. Um, and they seemed to think that it was, you know, more adult. They didn't feel like traumatized or scared by it, but um, they didn't see how like it could appeal primarily to kids. So mm. I don't know. What do you all think about that? I mean, what was your sense of watching it? None of us were kids when this came out, really, right? So, well, Hope, you read the books, right? Yeah, but the books, I mean, I think the books came out when I was like in college, maybe. So, yeah, I was never a kid. Mm -hmm. And yeah, these movies, in a weird way, have kind of been like comfort movies. For me, like they have a lot of nostalgia and like I would go with friends to see like the day sometimes when the new ones would come out, we would like have our Slurpees with like <laughs> a little vodka in there. And, you know, it's just like this very like communal. This is uh, so weirdly, I never have really thought too critically about them like I've always just kind of let them wash over me even on rewatch and so it was really interesting this time to actually think about like what is happening here who are these <laughs> for why are they so weird <laughs> yeah um but it was fun to look at them in a new way well do you th I mean do either of you have answers to that like who do you think they're for like why are they so weird I'm going to get like a little bit geeky right now, but I was just reading yeah. um, this great book by Jacqueline Rose, um, who's like a feminist psychoanalyst, Marxist literary critic. And she's thinking about Peter Pan specifically as like a case study for children's literature. But her argument about children's literature is it's it's not it's neither for or about children ever <laughs> that it's like children's literature is always essentially like an adult problem or an adult fantasy. Um, mm. So I was, it was interesting, like having read that book, reread that book like last month and then looking at these movies, it, it couldn't, it couldn't help but, but keep um, going back to that, that question of like, how is this? It's more like, how is this an adult fantasy that thinks it's in some way for children? Right. Um, but I don't know. I was thinking a lot about the moment in history that this this happened, uh, this franchise came out in, right? And like, it's pretty impressive. 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015, like all consecutively, like the mm -hmm. build up to between basically Occupy Wall Street, although like actually the filming of the first one ended like a week before Occupy Wall Street started in Zuccotti Park in September of 2011. But, and then it comes out in March. So like the end of Occupy or like birth of Occupy, however we want to like break that down to up to the point of like Trump's election and Me Too and Black Lives Matter, right? It's a really mm -hmm. interesting um, 
period, it's like delineating and, and chronicling. And that's like the only way in which I'm kind of interested in this as a serial narrative, because I was also wondering, in addition to the children's literature question, um, would this be better as just one movie <laughs> you know, or like two movies, right? Does this need to be mm-hmm. this stretched out, right? But it is kind of interesting yeah. how it spans those years in our like p- cultural, political imagination and... Um, and yeah, I do think there are four distinct films in a lot of ways, um, for better and worse. I feel like one of the things that struck me so much in thinking about these is that each time I have rewatched them, they feel so resonant to me in terms of thinking really specifically about things that are happening in our country or in the world and like specific details. I'll be like, Oh shit. Like how is that detail so accurate? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reading, you know, that they were potentially like written in response to the Bush era. And then the movies, like you were saying, came out around this kind of occupy era. And then Dave, we watched them for the first time, right in 2020. Yeah, that sounds right. Hmm. And so I was thinking, was obviously, so much of that year, yeah, COVID, these political uprisings, mm-hmm. um, and then just having watched them now, thinking so much about Israel and Palestine. Yeah. And I was, just, yeah, and I, I think I just have this question that I'm really curious to hear what you all think about the fact that they can feel so resonant and specific to so many different things. Like, what does that say about them? And at first I was like, I think that means, I think that's like really a credit to them. And I think the more I think about it, I'm like this way in which they can kind of be applied to anything. And then reading a lot about how like conservatives really claim these movies for themselves. And mm-hmm. oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Like there, I saw so many articles about how they're talking really specifically about like this conservative value is we see it here. This, you know, like laying it out so specifically. And I was like, they're not wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, like, what? so like, yeah, what's an example of like a conservative value that is laid out that they. Well, I mean, I guess I don't want to get like too far ahead of ourselves, but like, you know, that the ending, the ending basically like we are left again with like the traditional nuclear family, a man and a woman and their two children in the countryside. Mm. And like, that's what this is. This was all for. And they like leave society. Essentially, they're like, now things are good. Everything's taken care of. We get to just like live life with our beautiful family. Mm -hmm. And that was at the root of all of this. They talk about, you know, like anti big government is a big part of, you know, Mm -hmm. their arguments Mm -hmm. of claiming it for themselves. But I just thought that was so interesting that it's like, I can feel when I'm watching these, this huge resonance around things that I care about. Mm -hmm. And that essentially they can kind of be this maybe like transparency for anything. And, and what does that mean about them as movies? Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, No, I was, I was, I was thinking a lot about the ambiguity of its politics and you're right. There's such a, it does resonate. It does feel like it's kind of holding a a mirror up um, 
it's obviously like an allegory for social media and reality television and all of these, all of these things. But I guess I was thinking about it more of a, in a qualitative way too. Like it doesn't, it's kind of like everything. It's, it's very kitchen soupy, you know, <laughs> in terms of what it's doing it, it allegorically. Um, like just when you think it's going to be like a really precise allegory for, um, American Idol or something like this and mm-hmm, the kind of like mm-hmm. tight constrained way that maybe a Black Mirror episode would be um, it just leaks out and like <laughs> wants to be all of these other things um, yeah. and it it doesn't have a sense of focus and I think that is part of like formally why it's so politically contradictory right because I, when you were saying that it was like yeah the end really bums me out this like assertion of oh, yeah of the family form yeah. and like fascism is over but actually like this is just a, a new form of fascism that you know has kind of been regurgitated right just in the way that like she's gonna kill the um What's Julianne Moore's character? Sorry. Coin. 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 Just as she's she wants to kill her, right? Um, for like perpetuating the problem, like mm-hmm. being a, a kind of false escape. Um, that's exactly what this last weird Edenic <laughs> sequence, right, you know, with right. her and Peta and their she two becomes a trad wife. A little bit, yeah. Um, so I think the fact that it resolves itself that way, especially, is um, that seems to me like the most politically definitive moment of the whole thing, and that's very mm. like very fascistic. There's also just like lots of libertarian tendencies of this like war of all against all, this like kind of ultimate mm. like individualism. Um, Hobbesian kind of like nightmare or something like that that it just starts with but at least in the beginning it's like critical of that Um, in the end I don't know that's a really that's a really bummer ending (laughs) but I know we're starting with the end (laughs) I hate it so much and that I'm just like where have we ever seen this from Katniss that this is her dream of what her life could look like. And I feel like we're supposed to believe that it's just like, well, she never could dream about it because she was just always in survival mode. Mm -hmm. But I just, I'm like, I want something more for her. Not, I mean, having a family is beautiful, but it just, it just feels like they like leave society. They're just, we don't see any of their friends. We don't see any of these people. They've cultivated relationships. We don't see this community they have around them. It's just like, we're in a beautiful golden meadow with our golden haired babies. And (laughs) that's all that matters. It's just like. We're homeschooling them. (laughs) (laughs) We're (laughs) anti-vax. Like, I feel like if nothing else, she probably wants to have her like baby strapped to her back and be like wandering through the woods. And Mm. I don't know. Right. Right. That would be the more like up with. Yeah. Girl power. Yeah. I know. Yeah. That would be really interesting. I mean, I would have accepted that. But I mean, the tough thing is that it is like, you know, the movie is portraying the way that a righteous cause can be perverted. Mm-hmm. But, and so it, the line becomes very fine between like showing how this 
you know, the rebels become the fascists versus sticking with them and being like, and so that's good. So these are the good fascists. Well, and I just feel like this, this way this movie can be interpreted, like what does, one of the things you were saying, Dave, is that this is the most clear cut example of heroes and villains. But the fact that so many people claim this movie for themselves and see themselves in it, what does that mean about heroes and villains, you know? I love that. Yeah, well, I think in some ways, the more clear cut a hero villain story is, the more people might be tempted to claim it, Mm. you know? Yeah. Well, well, who's the hero and villain in this movie? Well, Katniss is the hero. Mm -hmm. Who's the villain? Snow and then Coin. Yeah. I think Pete is the villain. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I can't wait to talk about Pete and Gail, but mostly Pete. But before we do. And all the kissing with no chemistry. Oh, God. We can jump right into PETA, but before we do, I think hope the thing that I wonder with you as a big Shakespeare guy, Mm -hmm. that's a thing that has like a lot of resonance like throughout time, Mm -hmm. which, which I think is frequently pointed to as a good quality of it. And I feel like resonance with, yeah, Mm -hmm. with different struggles seems like a overall good quality to me i don't know and like can i don't know if it's possible to make a thing that cannot be perverted by interpretation yeah i mean totally i don't think i don't think that should be a goal necessarily i just think like you were saying madeline it's like this these movies have so many different symbols and references and and that is i guess you know, something that could be cool about it, but it also, yeah, just the more I think about it, I'm like, who, who are these movies for? I I read that Suzanne Suzanne Collins um, worked on actual kids TV shows, like was a writer for actual kids TV shows before writing the novels, Mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. Like Clifford. Oh really? Oh really? That's so funny. Yeah, some like spin-off of Clifford the Big Red Dog. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So a lot of uh, YA stuff um, is pretty provocative and and dark, and a lot of. I mean, I don't know. Um, it's just the the premise itself of the kids killing each other that's so. Wild. I don't know. Tuli was talking about Tuli's been reading like the Maze Runner series because we found that in like a free library and uh, it was like all of the books. Whoa. So I brought them home and Tuli started reading them and is pretty interested. They're just like kind of a um a narrative junkie. So they read tons of stuff like that, you know. And that was what they said. Like, that felt very clearly like a PG-13 version of this. But this feels like um, some, I think I said this already, but something that probably should have been R-rated just for its very plot. And I think it's wild. I mean, this was over 10 years ago, right? And that was still a time where, you know, we're getting over the 
a, a moment when even having a gay character warranted like an R rating in a movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when it was not that long before these movies came out. So it's, I do think in some weird way, it's an indication of this like fashy moment that's coming out of, you know, this like global right turn that's happening in the background of these movies that the child violence, the child on child violence is like, eh, that's not problematic. That's totally, you know, PG-13 franchise, right? We're fine with that. Right. I don't think well, aside I remember from the rating. Mm-hmm. I think what makes it the, the, the instinct to lean into that, I think is part of the black and whiteness. Mm-hmm. It's like when the, the same reason that when we see, you know, death numbers reported from Gaza, like the number of children is always like a subset of that yeah. as if, I mean, obviously it's horrible that children die there, but the ways in which, and this many children is used as a device to, in some ways, devalue the lives of, you know, adults yeah. is like it, 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 but in, in this, it makes it so clear. So it's like these people, you know, the, the final twist that sort of like seals coin and the rebels as villains is bombing their own people and a bunch of kids. Yeah. And so it's like the, the I, I feel like it's a matter of this mainstream movie wanting to heighten the stakes, just push all the knobs into the red and be like, and it's with kids. And it does feel like, I mean, I guess in real life and in literature and especially children's literature, like the innocence of children and children having to take on more than they should and children being used as this tool of manipulation and control. I mean, that does feel really central to history. And, you know, I kept thinking with these movies about the, like, you know, the sins of the fathers are visited upon their children. And it's like, these, these are the innocents who are paying for their four parents mistakes Yeah. Should we talk about PETA? Well, can I ask you all a question about the prequel? I don't I don't really know very much about it, but what you're saying, Hope, makes me kind of curious about how as a prequel it might lay out that um pretext. Do you know? Well, I haven't seen I haven't seen or I don't even is it a book I haven't seen or read. I think it is a book. I did look okay. at it. I don't know if it like came. Maybe Suzanne Collins scrambled to write it when they knew okay. there was a movie too. I, I, I have just, no idea. Yeah. I just know it's Snow's origin story. Yeah. I mean, I I agree that that there's a kind of logic to it of yeah, the sense of the father. Um it is very I mean it's the Child on child violence question, though, before I start talking about how I want uh, Kat, Katniss to uh Before to you want violence PETA. against one particular uh, young adult. <laughs> no, but I think like on the it's it's always this it's always this problem, right? On the one hand, obviously it's critiquing this, it's it's 
maybe a forewarning of like a fascist um, regime in which child on child child violence is so casualized, but in the, it's always going to also kind of be casualizing that violence, right? And, and justifying that mm-hmm, violence mm-hmm. in representing it so much. I mean, that was one thing I was thinking about. If it shrunk down to one movie, maybe that could be more powerful. But at the point, these these are long-ass movies. Yeah. You're just kind of exhausted by these images of 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 children being harmed and killed. Um, so yeah. I think especially now that's, that's a good thing to be asking of these movies. Um, like what is the impact of, of that kind of imagery? And it's not to say that we shouldn't see that at all. Right. But it's the same thing that we're thinking about with social media and things like that. What does it mean to be inundated with this imagery? Is it actually doing something? Um, obviously it's good to be amplifying and, and talking about it and escalating our struggle against it. Right. But um, what is the place of like social media and, and things like that in that? How can it be used to, to help us? It can also be, you know, harmful to our cause and things like that. Right. So. Well, seeing these movies for the first time, that was my big surprise. I didn't, there is an intelligence to some of the, critique that these movies put forth that yeah. I didn't expect specifically mm. um you know we don't have to rank them necessarily but 3 the mm. first mocking jay is my favorite i think um and part of it is because it's so i i did not expect the media critique in it the 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 idea of like of showing her being this figurehead. And mm-hmm. it's not just that she immediately becomes this unproblematic spokesperson. They show her failing to act right in the in the you know rebellion commercials and and how to portray her. Mm-hmm. And that is like I I found to be more complex than I expected from a mainstream movie to be like oh, to speak for a movement, everything is performance. It's not just this authentic expression of rebellion or revolution. Yeah. What did you think about that, Hope? Like, what happens in the third third film? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the first thing I'm thinking about, I guess maybe this is a way of me getting there with my brain is that I think it's really interesting that in the first movie, we see so many images of the games being watched. Like we see the way it's being received and like forced on people's throats and like delighted in, in the Capitol. And then in the second movie, which is when they're not children anymore, I think that also makes it different. It's like, now these are the grown up children fighting we, I don't think, see even one example of the actual games being watched by anyone outside of the arena other than, like, the game makers or Snow. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's really, like, what is that saying about the use of media? And is it related? 
is it somehow an indication that like unrest is growing? Um, but the, yeah, I guess in terms of the third one, I mean, I do love a good, good actor acting badly scene. So I do appreciate <laughs> it for that. Um, There's audition scenes in all three of the first movies. Yeah, yeah. that is one of my favorite things to watch um, in a movie. I mean, I guess maybe that is the first like critique of coin is the way in which it is so manipulated, edited. It's like, and I mean, in terms of, you know, like I feel like y'all have discussed so many other movies when it's like these actors themselves were being very exploited in different ways and very like harmful ways to them as people. And it's like coin's consideration or lack thereof of these people as people and rather than just symbols or, you know, pieces to move about for her bigger agenda, which even goes to, you know, PETA being thrown in in the last movie when it's like, clearly that's so harmful for him and everyone around him, but it's like, we need to see him. He needs to be part of this message that we're crafting. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the second one is the most fun one. Like it, it, and I think in some, I wonder in some ways too, if it's a mat, the thing you point out, Hope, if it's a matter of, because it was from the first one to the second one that they switched directors, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if that's, if it's the new director that is just like, I don't care about scenes of watching this, let's have, like, it's like Catching Fire is fun to me in the way that a Mission Impossible movie is fun, mm-hmm. where it's just like, cool set piece to the next cool set piece and like watching it this time hope and i were just being like damn the logic of this is really the logic of the second one where there's this plot by the rebels to get katniss out and turn her into a symbol of rebellion but then like some people are really dying and why couldn't they get her earlier and how many of her actions were they able to accurately predict like they're like oh she's going to use this wire to shoot an arrow into the dome it's like <laughs> it, you know it really starts to break down and so i just kind of enjoy it on the like whoa this fucking clock game looks crazy you know like that yeah. is how i like it but yeah I forget. I forget how that relates to what Hope was saying. <laughs> I feel like well, a lot of our. Just saying, there's not as much media critique. Yeah, there's not as much media critique, but also I feel like a lot of uh, th- these moments we're having, we're all, we're all just kind of like stumped. We're like, we've got some <laughs> thoughts, and then we're just like, hmm, yeah, I guess, <laughs> I guess so. something to think about. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe that's true. Um, one thing about about spectatorship, which I really like that observation. Um, Tuli was saying this to me in the last movie. Whoa, the, you know, with the Civil War, the Hunger Games is just everything, right? And I think that that's the kind of slow crawl of of it. And so whether your your positionality in relation to spectatorship kind of like changes with that, right? Um, You're watching people watch in the first one. And then like by the end, you're kind of feeling watched yourself. I I actually think that that's kind of an interesting and subtle arc. And again, weirdly, I'm like, 
I find myself making a case for why these should be four films, but I do keep wondering, <laughs> would this be better as just even just like three movies? I mean, I don't think that. Well, the fourth one falls off hard, dude. The fourth one, you think? Yeah, I, I mean, think the, so. the end is, as we've said, very bad, but I actually found it. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just I at least the the Mockingjay, I think, should have just been one movie. Um, it would have been much better. I agree. I don't know if I agree. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. Oh, Everyone I do. at the barbecue. <laughs> I do love three so much. So then I'm like, would that hurt three? But Right. I don't want some don't garbage know. tacked on to you three. Love three. All the like, it's such I a do. plotting. Four is just such a, it's like. And then they're slowly marching yeah, yeah, to yeah. this block where this thing's going <laughs> to shoot things out there. Endings then... always suck, you know, with trilogies yeah. especially. But yeah. the, okay, and then going back to the the kids content of it all, like Catching Fire was much more comfortably like a kids movie for me. Um, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. agree with the adventure stuff, but the end of Mockingjay, I'm like, is this is this actually... Um, responsible of me as a parent to be like watching these movies with my kid. And that oh, was the, the end only of the third one where, where really Peta's like thrashing in the bed. Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Well, I, yeah. no, it wasn't about Peta thrashing in the bed. That, I, I could watch that all night. Like, go ahead, <laughs> suffer, Peta. Yeah, I'm enjoying this. No, when he attacks her, I mean, it that's br- right, that's right, a brutal right. scene, and you see her injuries yeah. and things like that, mm-hmm. and the way it just kind of like. Ugh, the bridge between part one and two where her immediate response is like, where's PETA? I need to make sure he's okay when right. she looks like a domestic violence victim. And we're supposed to just kind of, okay, you know, he's been brainwashed. <laughs> so I guess this makes sense. I don't know. You know what's really interesting <laughs> about the kid stuff is that, and I realize, and I think part of this comes from, watching the movies a decade after they were made Mm -hmm. and after Jennifer Lawrence was catapulted to stardom from these movies is that I actually don't read a lot of the violence as violence against children because I don't read Jennifer Lawrence as a child. Mm -hmm. Like obviously there's like plenty of other like horrific stuff, oh, but there's an there's element so many of kids her... who get hurt though who are much younger than her, especially no, in the for first sure. one. For sure, uh, yeah, really. But young just, kids. but just her, like yeah. that moment sure. where Pete is attacking her. I, I, I'm just like, oh, these are two movie stars, you know. And so, which yeah. is not to say that, like, you know, you're bringing up like great points that I'm like, oh yeah, why didn't I see it like that? But sure. I think it's, I think there's something to the fact that. I'm just like, oh yeah, here's this Jennifer Lawrence movie where um where she's in a, it's a it's an action movie and she's in a fight with a person. Yeah. It is such a scary part of these movies that it is like a whole range of ages of children and they are sort mm-hmm. of seen in, in terms of I don't know, value you or whatever is like indistinguishable and I mean we're, we're we empathize or you know see more innocence I think with like the younger children mm-hmm. in some ways but I think that is just such a scary thing that it's just 
you know, like an 11 year old is so different from a 17 year old. I mean, they're all children, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The what's the what's the girl's name who gets Rue? Yeah. Uh, that part I was, cry yeah. every single time. How can you not? I mean But then it uh, I don't like how it just moving on, like the pace of it, it does make mm-hmm. sense plot wise. It's a survival based plot. But then right. it does kind of like condition you as the viewer into just being like, okay, I just saw this like very young child, you know, die <laughs> brutally, tragically, which should be perhaps like the the substance of like an entire movie, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Well, and the argument of the right? movie would be like, well, that's what this society is. Like right. that's right. the brutality of this, you yeah. know? No, I think it I think it plays with that and it is pretty nuanced, but I do think it's it's porous enough politically, maybe confused enough politically that like different kinds of readerships can attach their own version of mm-hmm. heroism to it or something like this, right? Like what exactly we're supposed to I get that obviously She's a hero living in a fucked up society that makes everyone in some way a villain, right? Like that's that's interesting, right? But then it does become a kind of like choose your own adventure scenario for like QAnon people or something easily. <laughs> you, know? you know what I mean? Well, there's save, many conspiracies. Save the children. <laughs> right, yeah, it's a Wayfair. Right. Save movie. some children. <laughs> <laughs> that Rue actor is just so good, though. Mm-hmm. I just got to say that. She's incredible. Yeah, what else is she in? Do you know? I don't know, but I want to. Yeah. She's so okay. good. So expressive, specific. Amandla, Sten- Amandla Stenberg is the okay. name is of Rue. Rue. Whoa, she's like, she's got a very like, Babelicious headshot on IMDb. Oh no, you can't say that about Rue. People grow, people change. I, I'm. It's. It, it looks like a glamour shot, is what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. So Jennifer Lawrence got five hundred thousand for the first Hunger Games, and twenty million for Mockingjay two. Yo. Whoa! Holy shit! Um, historic, massive salary hike. In, That's uh, like a baseball salary level of of yeah. like pretty amazing. Um wow. I gotta say I was a little bit checked out for her whole arc, and I I do blame some of this on on becoming a parent and like this movie came out like six months after Tulu was born. I wasn't seeing movies. I probably wouldn't have seen these, but I would have I would have like known a little bit more about them. Um, you know, if they happened five years before. Um but I did see Silver Linings Playbook when that came out, which I think, mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, the fact that that was probably one of the first movies that I saw, like, returning to the cinema after having a mm-hmm. kid, you know, and being able to leave them at, at home with somebody for, like, a few hours and see a movie, which felt like a really big deal to me. Um, and I saw that uh, you know, really tinged my my read on that movie. I haven't seen it since, but I really Meaning hated it. it. Made 
Oh, you really hated <laughs> yeah. it? Yeah, you didn't like so all the horrible. dancing? <laughs> oh, man, yeah, I liked so horrible. it. Um, but then she won the, the Oscar for it, and I was like, what? So I just didn't know how to like place her in the world. I did see her in the X-Men movies and stuff, but I've had kind of like a roundabout discovery of Jennifer Lawrence, and, and I really actually thought she did a good job in, in these movies, and... Um, I I did read about like all the pressure that she had to to lose weight to play mm. this role and appreciate that she didn't do that and I also think one of the things that I really admire about all of these movies is it, it does seem like it was coming out in this moment of like all these Scarlett Johansson movies or something like that that are like boob and butt shots a lot you know and it did not, you know, like powerful, like jumping off buildings, but like a lot mm. of like boob and butt, you know, mm-hmm. focus of the action sequences. <laughs> Sounds right? like you need to make a shelf of the video store that's the Scarlett Johansson <laughs> boob and, and butt butts. collection. Exactly. Madeline Lane McKinley's. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want to watch those movies. But MLM's did, picks. I think I kind of thought that this was of that ilk and I was impressed by the ways that it wasn't in fact. And that like, um, this is not to say that she chose how she was shot, but the ways in which she's being shot are, um, kind of admiring of her power and strength. Right. But are, I think kind of elegantly desexualized or, or Mm -hmm. maybe not desexualized, but just unsexualized. It's, that's not Mm -hmm. the emphasis of, of the cinematography and and basically anything. I mean, I think okay, I'll find a way to get this into PETA. It's like I think that's mm-hmm. part. It's these aren't sexy movies, so you're kind of that's like, why what it's the so hell? strange that these like <laughs> love stories are just <sighs> thrust into it, and they feel so unnatural. And I don't even want them there. I just want them to be friends or allies or you know whatever their yes. actual relationships are. Every kiss I don't need. Yeah. No kisses. Uh, PETA's horrible. And we got to talk about PETA because we can't make this whole podcast. Talk about PETA. Promising to talk about (laughs) PETA and then not. But PETA's horrible. But also Gail is horrible too. Like the the only – and they're made more horrible by the fact that like not all the guys in this movie are horrible. Finnick is fucking great. I love Finnick in these movies. And mm-hmm. I think he's very different than that character is normally portrayed. But I'm going to put a pin in that because <laughs> let's talk. This is the PETA sucks section of okay, the podcast. Should have so. stayed a rock. He should have stayed a rock. He, he became a rock. And he could have just stayed that way. Yeah. Just to he is a good painter. I'll give him that. Madeline, did you like what's your what's your journey of PETA sucks? Because I, I I unfortunately do find the actor pretty just not the most not the warmest, most likable like screen presence. No. But did you ever like when did you think that PETA sucks? And once From the you beginning. Once, the that first threshold shot. was cr- the first shot, <laughs> <laughs> but then did it ever like swing back? Like no. once he's tracker jacker venomed, 
did did they, did you ever feel bad for him? Like, what's what's the the needle there? I guess at the end of the first one, I was like, oh, that's cool that he's telling her to kill him, and then I just think she should do that, you know. <laughs> But also, it's like that wouldn't even help anyone. It's just like they're dealing with so many other problems. And all he can care about is just like, just kill me. Like, he's such a like he's very for being so selfless on the surface. I feel like that's who his character archetypally is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I feel like he thinks about himself all the time. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. A, A narcissistic martyrdom. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she would have been better off if she just killed him and it would have made a great ending. That's your way of getting one movie. <laughs> I'm being a little facetious, but I do think it's a there's a weird thing in the the love interest. OK, like the complete like heterosexual closure mm-hmm. of of this narrative world mm-hmm. set aside. I mean, that does seem to be like one of the default principles of this right but there have to be some better options for her than these duds i mean right well hope and i were thinking <laughs> we were talking about, about that hope and i were thinking about it hope proposed cressida the director and mm-hmm. i was like i was like okay i get it you want to see you want to see her with like a non-dude but there's no evidence in the movie of really chemistry between them but she and Nor Boggs. with anyone else, though. I mean, it's... Well, just, it, her and Mahershala Ali, I think there is oh. a little bit of a... More than anyone else, More I than anyone say. else. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's because everyone with Mahershala Ali... I know. I know. I mean... Yeah. He's really under... <sighs> there's so many great support performances in these movies. Yes, and he's one of the ones who I find most underserved by his role. Yeah. It could have been a much more heroic ending for him too yeah yeah. he's this he's this like what he's the head of all security for this this underground rebel district and he doesn't see a mine he's got this like giant device that shows you where all the little video game pods are but he can't see one mine yeah that was frustrating sloppy Yeah. Yeah. yeah philip seymour hoffman too isn't it wild that these are his last movies? Yeah. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's wild. I also like Hope pointed out how much letter reading there is at the end of the fourth movie. Yeah. And I was like, I oh, yeah. Just reading letters all day long. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and part of it's I'm, because he died. But I yeah. did find they did a pretty decent job of using the PSH footage they had. Yeah, they did. In the fourth movie. I also find from the beginning of like uh, my relationship to Jennifer Lawrence's performance is like, I I think as a movie star, she's fucking locked all these movies down from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Acting wise, I don't find her to get like, there's always some moments that are kind of out of pocket. She has to do some really hard stuff, like wake up from a nightmare, you know, mm-hmm. th- things that are just like, if not shot right, like bound to look awkward. Yeah. Unless you, she has to generate so a lot down. herself. Like yes. there are very few moments where she gets a real like good acting, not because the other actors are not good, but just like her character and her arc. I feel like so much is just her and herself. 
Yes. And that just feels totally. so Especially so when she's with Tita, you know, it's just her and herself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Literally. It's a literal rock. Her, her and a rock. But I, I think, also think, oh, go ahead. Well, I think that to me that became very clear because I think by three, by the third movie, she's like more locked in as an actor. But mm-hmm. in the second movie, when she meets Plutarch, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, yeah. and they're dancing, and it's just like, it just gave me such appreciation because it is weird that these are his last movies. It, it, like it, nothing about these movies scream the legacy of Philip Seymour Hoffman to me. Yeah. And yet the minute he's on screen, I just like feel more relaxed. He's He exudes so much ease and yeah. presence. And you're just mm-hmm. like, damn, dude. Like that's a person who just like, knows how to be on screen you know and i guess compared to so many like kid actors especially in the previous movie like there's such a manic energy to that and Mm. for him to just be like in this thing and like talking about how horrible this this capital celebration is but if you loosen up your morals you can enjoy it you're just like dude whatever he's doing here i'm i'm eating up and there's something about him i think it's just groundedness that even though it, I mean, it's good that nothing like this ever happens, but I do just feel in every moment, like something wild could happen. Like he's just so alive that it feels like he could just like spin around and like stab somebody. And I would just be like, yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what's happening. It just, it, every moment just feels so full of possibility with him where I don't see that as much in, in other sequences. That's yeah. a good point because with Peta and Gail, it's like the possibility is, are you going to be with me or are you going to be with me? And it's just it's just such a fucking drain. Also, in that fourth movie, no one gets any sleep because everyone is talking yes. in the camp when they're it's like, dude, go somewhere else to talk or actually whisper. Don't just have a full conversation. You know, this other person isn't asleep. Yeah. I know. I wanted to talk about that, like sleep, eating. It kind of goes part way into this stuff, which I don't know. I guess you have listened to us talk about things. And one of my weird, like, obsessions is like, where did they go to the bathroom? When did they sleep? How did they hydrate? How do they eat? Like, I want to see those kinds of details because I don't think that they're that hard to add into a film like, say, Star Wars, but they make Mm -hmm. a huge difference narratively. And I don't like the way that these movies kind of like flirt with that a little bit. Like, I feel like you should feel hungry while watching them. And I guess I was expecting to feel hunger into yeah. I didn't at all. It just kind of felt casual. You know, like, yeah, these people are hungry, but, you know. I also think it's so interesting that chat GPT generated such a such a glorious in, incorporation of the whole bread narrative around PETA. <laughs> and, and Dave, when we started watching these movies, this rewatch, did not remember the bread origin story at all. Like, right. even though My, PETA like, talks about it and watch. they talk about it, you know, throughout all of these movies, like at least three times, I think. Mm-hmm. And it just like More, did not yeah. register which I just think is really interesting. And also another way Peter sucks and that the only way he could think of to get food to his friend was to burn this bread. He's going to give her a burned up loaf of bread. 
Lame. Disappointing. Did you ever think about how pita is a name for a bread too? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was thinking about that too. So I was also thinking like, you know, this could also be a cannibal story. Like they're really hungry. Like they could just mm. eat pita, you know, and that would probably be fine. Like in that cave, she could right. just kill him and eat him and she'd be strong. Call it a euro. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she could eat him for a euro. Yeah. <laughs> but is okay. No, I know. Have, have we fully explored? I, I feel like we really loaded up on PETA and we're pulling our punches a little bit. I feel like we need to like take this guy completely down. Well, is, is it just so obvious that he sucks that there's that there's almost yeah. like not that much more to say about it? He's I want just it to uninteresting. Know. Yeah. Well, I wanted right. to know this. Like, I didn't know how much he sucked. I did know the thing about the rock, like there's the meme, right, of the rock, him becoming the rock. So I kind of understood a little bit about about PETA. But does everyone know he sucks? Like that's what I'm catching up to so much right now. You know, like everyone just knows. No, some people are like team PETA. Is there a team PETA, team Gale thing like with Twilight and shit? I feel like with the books, there was. Okay. I don't know about the movies as much. Like, maybe with the movies, there is more consensus. But I feel like with the books, there were a lot of people who did love PETA. That's because they could use their imagination of, like, who, you know, whereas then they see the actor in the scenes. It's decisively bad. We should do a poll. And see if there are any PETA fans oh, yeah, out there. We should there. do that. Yeah. Oh, great. Giving us social media homework. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it. But I, I mean, yeah, the the lesson of PETA, right, is the PETA versus Gale thing. These men are just, you know, men are just going to be terrible. Don't look for better ones. Just figure out mm. how to deal with these with these guys. Or there's something about it that felt very like brutal and pessimistic in terms of of the actual possibilities of of romance and i think that we could extend that to like the politics of the movie like it doesn't actually believe that like a real revolution could ever be right the best we could get is this bullshit right family scene in the end right and i think it kind of feels that way about interpersonal like friendship (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right? like, where's the real friendship sad. you know sorry <laughs> no no it's just like I feel like that is this watch of the movies one of the parts that was so hard is there have been so many moments over the years when these movies have like filled me with like the feeling of hope or possibility but then yeah it's like where does it go and what does it serve us up at the end But it is just, I mean, for me, at least just so effective at like filling my body with emotion. Well, I'm glad we could ruin these movies for you. I think that that's really (laughs) the goal of our show is to is to take beloved pieces and and really drain them of people's enjoyment. They're not ruined. There's still moments that I hold dear. I mean, I think these are thoroughly watchable movies. You know, oh, yeah, it's like for sure. if we're talking about watchability versus quality, those are those are different categories, you know? And yeah, I think 
I would definitely rewatch any of these. It's, it's fun. I don't know. Would but the, I don't know. Maybe Mockingjay 1, I'm, I don't think it's fun. It felt like more of a task, but it also felt like the most meaningful one of the series. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I get, yeah. I think just with the friendships, it just feels in the first movie like there would be more friendships between right. people. And I think that's one of the things we were talking about this a little bit, Dave, is that it's hard to figure out like what this society is like exactly. Like there are ways in which it feels kind of collective and there's, you know, like mm-hmm. the market where they're bartering for things and they're mm-hmm. kind of looking out for people, but then there are ways in which it feels so individual and it's like, we're supposed to believe there are some people in this town who have never met each other. We're supposed to believe that, you know, Peter's family, like the mom beats him because she gave bread to somebody else. It's just yeah. like, how are they handling resources? I, I just, and it does feel like there would be at least some very strong friendships that well, would emerge. You also brought up on this watch that it, it kind of a jaw dropper for me. And Madeline, I'm curious your thoughts on this. Like where are Pan Am's jails? There are no jails. And I and I feel like, I mean, you know, the, the movies have a pretty relatively solid critique of, of uh, law enforcement baked into them with the, like, irony of them being called peacekeepers. They're so brutal. They're so impersonal. It's like mm-hmm. the, the critique there is so clear. And maybe the lack of jails just complicates like like to have to show prison in these movies and incarceration would require an even more sophisticated level of thinking through this world that the movies don't seem willing to do. Cause they also don't present that as a possibility at the end either. When they're like, how are right. we going to punish these people? Mm. It's like the choices are we execute every single one of them <laughs> or we have another hunger games. And that's it. Like the <laughs> there's no, yeah. you know, there's no, I mean, first of all, no option for like, how do we incorporate these people into our society? But there's not even an option of like, yeah, we just put them all in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that would be such an interesting way of fr- it, it. It feels very patchwork. Like it doesn't know how mm-hmm. the things relate to each other. And it could, just thinking about it with like Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, which we started the season with, right? Mm-hmm. Like what I it, that's like a far more simple movie, right? But you understand all of the ways in which the Thunderdome works, you know, socially and politically, right? As a as a as a kind of legal system in an anarchic world or something like that. Right. 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 It would right, be right, cool right. if that were more, if the hunger games had a discrete function like that beyond the spectacle. Right. I was mm. also thinking about that with, I mean, we hear about hospitals when hospitals are bombed in the last one, but like, yeah, all of, all of these facets of the world are kind of, um, presumed in some way natural i think it's not that we're supposed to think that there aren't prisons right it's just that we're supposed to assume that they're 
in the background, just like maybe hospitals and schools, right? But those are the places where I would be most curious to, <laughs> to look at how they function. Um, but I think that's very revealing that at the same time as, as being absent, we still feel their existence, right? Um, well, I think these, I think the patchwork thing is a really good point. I think with regards to the post-Occupy essays you wrote that you sent to us are, you know, these, these movies really rely on a pre-existing images of mm. dystopia where it's like, well, yeah, of course there's prisons. We've seen other dystopian prisons. So they're probably just here as well, you know? Mm. And, and I think, I think, yeah, there is a way in which, I mean, for a series that is so focused on symbols, right? Mm -hmm. Like Katniss herself is a symbol. The Mockingjay is a symbol. There's the hand sign. There's like, even sound yeah. is symbol, you know? It's like the movie itself sometimes doesn't, or the movies themselves sometimes don't break out of the world of pure symbol. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty, a good observation smart though. point, huh? I think that that would have been that would have been a more profound scene if if we did know about the existence of a prison system and had some vantage on that, you know. Which scene? Um, the end, the execution scene, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. um, Donald Sutherland is great in that scene. He he's oh, fucking he's deranged. So yes, I love Donald his Sutherland. His blood coming yeah, out of his mouth as he laughs. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. And he was, I mean, he was one of the first celebrities to to be showing up at uh at Zuccotti Park too. I just want to mention. Um Really? Which I really like. And I love that also because his son is such an asshole, like right wing asshole, Kiefer, you know. He was in twenty four oh. and was really kind of a G dub apologist during those years mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. Um so that was kind of an interest. I mean, the artist, do George, the painter, George W. Bush. Yeah, the painter. He didn't okay. like his his, uh, <laughs> you know, choice of subjects, but he liked the medium and all of those yeah. things. So he was really promoting, uh, um, you know, in the two thousands, like especially after nine eleven. He's like, mm -hmm. have you checked out this painter? Um, but I think that's kind of. Uh, the, the, the people involved in the project, especially with Donald Sutherland, as this kind of like patriarchal figure in the cast kind of gave me that impression that this like knew itself more clearly as a, a left wing movie, right? Like yeah. a, a film of the 99%. And that was one of the things I was responding to in, in those essays was the way in which like the dystopia became so prominent in the like political imaginary of occupy and i i would like i didn't have the time but i i would like to compare this to say like the planet of the apes trilogy i don't know if you all are fans but i, I think that those are the most really? when we were texting about it i was like damn i gotta i've only seen the og planet the og no, the the newer the newer franchise which came out you know pretty much like a year before i think all of these films um, it was like a step ahead, but um, that was really creating an interesting dialogue with the Occupy moment. And I was kind of thinking that that was absent in these. I was a little bit surprised at that 
Well, I read that Donald Sutherland in interviews talked about how he like did hope these movies would cause a revolution. Yeah. (laughs) Like he did seem very locked into the message. At least he wanted to be in them. And then I think there were reporters who asked him then about this kind of, you know, really conservative people also loving these movies. They were like, what do you think about that? And he was shocked. Um, which I just think is an interesting. It says a lot. Wrinkle. I didn't realize Donald yeah. Sutherland was such a righteous dude. Oh yeah. Yeah. He had an affair we... with Jane Fonda. Oh, like, peak, okay. Peak Fonda moment too. In the early seventies, he was obsessed with her too. Was oh. he, well, this is our, at least our second Donald Sutherland movie, right? He was in Disclosure, isn't he? Oh, God. Isn't he I in the elevator when there's now... like the, the gay <laughs> moment in Disclosure? He's, the gay, like, he's panic in Disclosure. Nightmare? Yeah. 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 But I don't know. He's a great um, supporting actor. And I think we really feel that here. Where to speak to the Philip Seymour Hoffman point you're making. I think he knows how to operate in these scenes with Jennifer Lawrence in a way. I mean, you could see it going in a, a very different direction, mm-hmm. a kind of like Marlon Brando uh, mm-hmm. scene stealing direction. And he seems, he's, he seems very dedicated to facilitating the story and, and being in this particular role to define her character more. Right. Um, and I like that. But the thing I don't like about the fourth film, let's talk a bit about this, uh, if you if you don't mind. She decides, oh, the answer to this is like, I need to kill him, right? Right. That right. he is the problem individually, right? right? If I'm going to take... And so I wanted to talk a little bit about leadership as as an open question of all of these, which is an Occupy question, right? Of the the leaderless movement or something like that. Right. Um, Well, maybe I can fold in a a concern that I have like an open and an open question is like, what is the relationship lead leader leaders and the leadership problem of these movies is one branch of the collective versus individual problem Mm -hmm. of these movies. For sure. Like, like, is Katniss selfless or not? Like, certainly, uh, I I would maybe buy an argument that she's never selfless, that she's only self-motivated because th- there are moments when she's, like, used as a symbol, moments when she's subsumed into the, you know, the cause. And, and, and by self-motivated, I mean, like, motivated to save PETA. As well, Mm -hmm. like the things that she considers her priorities never get taken over by the collective's priorities. So her decision to be like, I need to kill Snow. The fact that Mm -hmm. she votes for for coins like newly proposed Hunger Games. I know. But that's just a play. That's that's just a play of her ultimate plan to get to kill coins. She doesn't actually want that to happen. She just can't give away her game yet. Yeah. You know. But you're at that point. You're not sure of. I mean, it's a play on us totally. too because we're kind of wondering about her moral mm-hmm. compass, right? Well, um, and it it feels like in terms of the collectivism, it's like 
the only time that is fully considered for her feels like the thing she won't do, like the mm-hmm. line she won't cross, the thing she's not willing to sign on to. Wait, um, what do you mean? Well, I mean, like, you know, when when there are these moments of war and it's like they just want to trap everyone in that mountain or whatever. And, you know, Gail, I feel like is her kind of opposition. He's just like, this is war. You know, they don't care about us. We shouldn't care about them. Um, There are no limits, essentially. And I feel like she it's in those moments where she's like, we have to consider what we're willing to do to people but it, it doesn't feel like she considers the collective that much in like the positive. It's always kind of like in opposition to what somebody else is proposing. Right, 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 right. I agree. I think this movie doesn't have collectivity in it. Like it has these like scenes of, of the masses. Right. Um, but that's a kind of fascist mass, right. In terms of a kind of, political collectivity you were always supposed to be suspicious of any time that presents itself as a possibility like in the rebellion right and i would say like maybe the image of real collectivity okay with the exception of the family right Mm -hmm. right Right, the family is that's the the placeholder for that and the tree climbers for me that's the closest it gets is that one scene that's my favorite scene in all of the films is the tree climbers but Oh, yeah. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that's probably one of my favorite scenes. And that's exactly why, right? Because of this exceptional character to it. But um, the sperm guys in in part two, Mockingjay, right? Yeah. I was kind of struck by this because it's a, it does seem like it's at this peak moment of thinking about leadership, thinking about, you know, the face of a movement or something like that. And you have this swarm of faceless creatures, right? And I do think that that's a weird kind of multitude <laughs> that presents itself. Um, and part of why it's like leaning towards this, you know, okay, if there is collectivity, collectivity, it's only in this kind of fascistic, white, heterosexual, yeah, very nuclearized family form, right? Um but what did I you all think about that? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no. I'm sorry. I hadn't really thought about this until you just said that. But that, you know, mass of those creatures is essentially mirrored than when everybody mobs snow at the end. It's mm-hmm. like they are that same kind of mass that's just like yes. pulling apart and grasping and like clawing. Yeah. And they do just become this kind of like faceless mob. Yeah, we see them only from behind, right? We don't mm-hmm. see their faces as they do that. Right. Yeah. Such an interesting connection. Well, um, yeah, it seems yeah. like to, to me, the thing I make of that is that the movie doesn't want to does doesn't want to or or almost is is limited by a sort of capitalist imagination where it's sure. like the, the idea of a thing of, of a of a group or or a group you know all this stuff i feel myself limited by it too because i feel like i'm just describing like mindless swarms but the idea of a like living breathing community that is that doesn't deny individual individuals agency but also has its own priorities and and 
connections between people, that's just not a possibility. It has to be faceless sperm guys. You know, it's uh, <laughs> I also really appreciate that you're down with my calling of these guys sperm guys. It's also like they're swimming. The descent. You know? It's just have you. Yeah, I don't imagine they're swimming you've seen the in descent. a tunnel. Okay. I know, dude. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and so I was telling Hope, I'm trying to imagine who blows the load that contains these guys. What giant snow. nothing says perfection like white (laughs) sperm guys but uh but yeah i mean also that that's just like the descent that what if those were all snow's children and they were like deformed (laughs) so he just puts them in a tunnel and that's who they grow up to be that's amazing well you said the idea when we were talking hope about that they had been people at one point yeah, and that maybe really were just freaks like me science out. experiments that went wrong is is interesting. That really scared me that I thought of it. It doesn't that. explain any of that though, too. No. <laughs> that was, that's no. getting to the genre weirdness of these things. I, I I agree that they feel on the one hand um very cookie cutter. Like we're familiar with these tropes. Mm-hmm. You know, blah, blah, blah. But then there's these things like that that feel so tacked on, like well, this is essentially a video game, so of course there's these sperm guys in the tunnel who, <laughs> right, right, like eat yeah. people or what do they do exactly, and how can they see the people they're eating and <laughs> smell? They don't have noses, I think, either. You know, I mean, we don't get any explanation of any of this stuff, and it's not like I I want exposition. Oh my god, this would be so much worse if it had like horrible voiceover or you oh, know, yeah. Uh, anything like that. I'm, I'm glad it, uh, exposition scenes before each, you know, um, action sequence, like this is what we're going to do. I don't want that, you know, but um, it's at that point in the movie, it's so wild because you're just supposed to buy it. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Am- now there's these guys. <laughs> right. Right. I am really curious what y'all both think maybe this is not that interesting, but I was thinking a lot about all the different creatures that we see in all the different films and all the real animals we see in all the different films and just Mm -hmm. what, like, why are those things included? Yeah. Why are they included? I mean, with the cat, it's like to humanize prim and another example Prim of like, saves the cat. I'd never heard of that plot point. It was amazing. Yeah. Right, right. No, I'm joking. Sorry. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> What's the joke? I really there's do a, love that she saves the cat. There's a screenplay book called Save the Cat. Okay, like, I wasn't sure if that's what you were you're referring to, to or not. Yeah. But it's like 20 years old at this point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's just like basic, you know, how do you humanize a character? Just make sure they save the cat, which I think is an alien reference, right? But oh. yeah, 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 um, yeah. And it's yeah. still working on me, baby. Yeah. <laughs> it does work. Yeah. It's, it always works. But it's like also <laughs> like we got to notice when it happens because I think in some ways it's a mark of desperation on a screenwriter's mm-hmm. part. Well, it also so shows... Funny. <laughs> It also shows how unlikable, you know, Hamish makes such a big deal out of how unlikable Katniss is. And like her her reaction to the cat is is a, a mark of like, oh, even, you know, cats don't exactly. like her. They hiss at her or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I think I think this is really inter- the the ways in which things are used positively or negatively in this movie and what is able to be imagined positively versus negatively like mm-hmm. yeah, our Anna like you know the sperm guys seem to be only a negative version of collectivity. Uh, there doesn't seem to be like uh, another version of that is when Gail says like no one who supports the capital is innocent, which was another very like resonant line right now. And mm-hmm. then and Katniss responding that like war is always personal. I think like really, I, I don't know if the movie has any distance from her in in that moment. Hmm. I, 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 I can't tell maybe I'd buy it either way, but I feel like the movie makes a lot of arguments that war is personal and collectives are always imagined negatively or, or so frequently imagined negatively in this, in these, in this movie, in these movies, bah. but then, you know, what is capable you know, symbols. Well, symbols are imagined as hope. You know, hope is is counter to fear. You know, there there is the movie does give us hope. It imagines families only positively. It kind of can't give us a negative. I guess with Peta's no, mom, she's moms sort are of horrible. A I wanted to talk about how moms suck in these movies, and then mm. somehow. Yeah. She's like, yes. oh, well, I'll become a mom. And then she's telling this baby, like, I'm really fucked up. And someday I'll tell you about it. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Like the last line, right? Like, what? I'm really traumatized beyond functionality. And someday I'll tell you the story. If you haven't noticed that I'm, like, completely abusive or, like, you know. And I just have to deal with it all on my own. It's my problem yes, to just, like, just deal me. with this trauma. Yes. Well, the other, I don't want to like lose your creatures question, Hope. The other mm-hmm. thing in the first three movies, because there's a, despite the director change, there's a unity to the first three movies that the, that the fourth one doesn't always have. But there's a hunting scene where Katniss mm-hmm. either misses or chooses not to shoot an animal. And yeah, there are a few scenes like that throughout the movies. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. there like there's always at least one, and the idea that mm-hmm. you know sometimes these animals seem to really represent people or rep or represent hope. You know, the deer in the third movie who it's like doesn't know to be afraid of us. You know, is like is kind of offering the hope of a different world in some You're right. way. Yeah. I don't know. Have we, have have we, I want to make sure we address your like creature monster question. I think so. I just think I'm curious. Yeah. Like what these treatments of the animals are saying about the society's relationship to the natural world. And like the fact that they do have all of these kind of like versions of animals, but like, you know, Dave, when we were watching it, I just have to tell myself, I'm like, these aren't real animals. These are just robots. These are robot dogs. These aren't dogs, like just to comfort myself. Mm -hmm. And, but I think that's interesting that they, you know, the, the capital has these kind of like fake 
I don't know if they actually are robots, but these like versions of animals that they use as these tools for harm. What about, what's her name? Tigress? Mm -hmm. That was also another thing. It's like, is this also transphobic or something? Like she says, she thinks she's had all these like, um, things done to her body that she clearly like regrets and hates about herself. Right. But does she hate them or was she just ostracized because of them? It's hard to tell. And it does feel like the capital does have more of this sense of like, yeah, people are doing extravagant things to themselves because they're bored or whatever, which is a very strange because it is almost like the capital is the only place we see maybe any representation of like gender or, you know, like personal Mm -hmm. expression in these different ways, things like that. And then it does, it's hard to tell. Yeah. Like what they're saying about that. Yeah. It came across to me as this kind of like bourgeois decadence or something like that, that I just felt it just didn't sit with me. Right. But then like a lot of things in these movies, there just wasn't enough time spent on it for me to like feel decisive about it. It just teased at my um, sensibilities and confused me a little bit. Um, Also the fact that Tigress is the one who's like helping with them with these disguises to show up to the Capitol. And I'm like, all she's got are some robes. Like we can't come up with any better disguise. We don't have (laughs) any like makeup. We don't have any wigs. We don't have any hair dye. Like we can't (laughs) chop off this hair. I mean. I know my partner, Kyle was really, really upset about that in particular, like throughout all of them. He was constantly concerned about how many arrows she had and mm. how her disguises really sucked. Yes. And and I agree, but I also was like, I just want there to be some hunger. Like Tuli was saying, you know, oh, I thought that this was going to be like an eating contest or something like that would happen in this movie. And I, the know. Hunger Games. It's uh, Joey Chestnut eating a bunch of hot dogs. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, did you guys not experience that as a frustration? I, I, I guess I was just like, I, I like a movie about survival to actually make me kind of viscerally feel, you know, curiosity about about those kinds yeah. of how would you just get your basic needs met? And I like that. OK, she sleeps on top of a tree and she has to tie herself to it. Right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There's like a little bit of this, but like a dab of realism here. And then it's not supposed to go, you know. It's not it's it's incomplete in its in its um, sense of like of what it means to survive. And the fact that it's called the Hunger Games, I just think it, it's kind of a weird absence throughout all of this. I mean, you no, get some, I agree. Mm-hmm. I didn't I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Um, I but but and and to sort of like tease Survivor. I mean, by mm-hmm. we the time we get to the seasons of Survivor that we are going to watch for this mm-hmm. show, this is not as present. But like, you know, the 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 things I love about Survivor have almost nothing to do with survival. Like, I don't care about like how well they build a shelter. It's just the platform on which all the social stuff 
happens because okay. all that stuff is driven is pushed to 11 when you know they're hungry and tired and you know have only right. eaten a yeah. a couple spoons of rice and and yeah that would totally like provide a different platform for the hunger games I the mean, only relationship sh- to substances that i have mm-hmm. in these movies is as a sober guy I would absolutely relapse t- for some Tracker Jacker Venom. I want to get fucked up on Tracker Jacker Venom <laughs> so bad. That shit looks amazing, dude. I also do think it's strange in, I mean, it's mostly District 12 that we're seeing that we don't see, yeah, we don't see pe- people look kind of healthy. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. Katniss definitely looks very, very healthy. And that we also don't see more people with visible disabilities. It just feels mm-hmm. like if everybody's like working in this mine and they're being constantly kind of like attacked by the peacekeepers, I'm just like, it seems strange, you know, in the scene of the reaping that everybody's just like standing up straight in their little dresses. And I don't know. Yeah. That just really and stood out to me. I get, yeah. And it, it, we were talking a little bit before about, um, the pressure that Jennifer Lawrence faced to, you know, be skinny, right. Mm -hmm. Um, for this part. And at the same time as admiring that, like, I don't know if I were, if I were really hungry, I'd probably be as thick as her, you know what I mean? Like bodies are different. Like we don't need her to have this like heroin chic thing. And she's also like strong and you get that sense from her body. I really like that about the movie, but She's still going to get hungry, man. Like, she's still going to really be stoked on the food whenever she sees food. And I want my mouth to be watering, like, when she finally has access to it. I want to really feel, I want to really feel something like that. And I think I also felt that way about the the action sequences. Um, I was never, like, that edge of my seat, to be honest. It all felt kind of subdued video gamey you know or, or were you all I like was, jumping off your seats the first yeah? time i watched it i think there were certain things like with the fog in catching fire i was like yeah. freaked out uh but also in catching fire th- you know the one thing that really feeds your hunger thing is uh yeah i listen i didn't say (laughs) pun intended or not intended because it just was there but uh when she gets the water tap thing i actually was drinking water and i was like "Ooh, this feels i i was like i felt like my water was extra refreshing (laughs) and And it it takes a while for it to come out yeah yeah Yeah. i liked that too um but then yeah do they even drink and like the next three movies, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, they and they're very wet movies. Their bodies are wet, but they're not like drinking a lot. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. They don't even have water bottles. Yeah, I don't like it. it Sponsorship I opportunities. I would make the most boring. They need a good canteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they need a, a Yeti. Like, I'm hungry. Like I'm cranky because <laughs> I haven't had any food, and then they have a fight. <laughs> I'm thirsty. I have a headache. Yeah, well, because yeah, food, food only <laughs> exists as supplies in these movies. Like yeah. it, when they're in the basement or the yeah, whatever that bun- the bunker of of not season thirteen of of 
what's it called? District. District 13. There, that's potable water. You see yeah. a you see a sign yeah, yeah. on there. In in whichever district it is, you see grain being tossed aside when there's riots. And it's only yeah, this this sort of very light brushstroke. Except for the Capitol, when we see food as only like an overindulgence excess. Yeah. Yeah. There's no like in between. There's no just like we made a good meal and we're nourished. Yeah. And I guess I would, I don't know. What's a movie that you just feel really hungry while you watch it? Have you ever had that? What's There's some great. Like, oh, yeah. Jurassic Park. I love that scene in Jurassic Park where they finally get back to. Um, I don't know the the dining hall, right? The kids, and they f- see this buffet of like puddings and all these things. Oh. And they're just stuffing their face mm-hmm. with it because they haven't eaten in like a whole day and a half or something. They've been running around being chased by dinosaurs. Of course, they're fucking hungry, and then their faces are covered with pudding when. They see the velociraptors. Maybe there's something to do with kids because I, the one that's coming to mind for me is Home Alone. Like Mm. even in the beginning, Home Alone makes me want to eat pizza and then all the like (laughs) ice cream he's eating and fucking big cereal and snacks. I'm like, yeah, that's the life, man. (laughs) I like how you're saying that to the person that you live with. You're like, Home Alone is the (laughs) What that? What you, the the title of the movie means? No, I want to be home. Alone. No, the, those <laughs> snacks are the life, not the snacks. Whole thing. I don't need a poster of cardboard cut out of Michael Jordan on a train going around. I just want to eat ice cream and pizza. The month I was in L.A. and you just lived off of Jets Pizza Place for a month. Okay, <laughs> didn't know we were blowing up personal spots in such a way on this podcast. You can yeah. edit it out. <laughs> no, I deserve it. I don't like Eat, Pray, Love. I saw it once, though, and I do remember the whole time I was like, why am I not eating while I watch this movie? It's, the only reason to watch the movie is to watch Julia Roberts. Eh, Julia Roberts is coming yeah. up again. Yeah. But watching her eat, she's a great eating actress. Got to give it to her. Mm. Everything well, it, You could just watch that movie on mute. It would be much better. Eating acting like, is very, like, not a lot of people do good. it, period, or do it well. I know. No, also, it is an art. a thing they do, a, a different type of acting that is hard that they do well in these movies is explaining acting. Especially Hamish yes. in I the beginning that. when they're on the train. And he's just mm-hmm. casually tossing off, like, important foundational world building things in these in his dialogue it's like it's very impressive um i'm gonna name it uh the julie and julia movie about mm-hmm. julia child with meryl streep a lot of great food i'm getting hungry just thinking about that movie you know welcome to Food food movie reveal party. <laughs> no, but I think that that's what this movie should have been more like, you know? I'm just saying. <laughs> Everyone and says just need more that, of that the Hunger Games should be more like Julie and Julia. <laughs> well, one of the things I know about the books is that there are these really um, detailed accounts of food. Um, mm. And I love that. I love that in literature. 
especially. What were you going to say, the, Hope? The, the movie I did just think of is yes. um, that I feel like maybe captures some of both like the hunger and satisfaction of food is the freaking movie from your first season that I don't know why I can't think of the name right now, but all the oh, noodles. Yes. Where they're always just yeah. like making yes, these really yes. amazing noodles and like putting little things mm. in them and just like slurping them up. Like food in that movie is just like so vital. And it is actually, it seems like related in some way to hunger. Like, I don't feel like they're oh, ever yeah. starving, but it's like, we need to like secure our next meal. Right. Yeah, that movie is, the plot of that movie just is survival. It's just bare survival. Right, and, right. Um, right. And that's not what's going on in the Hunger Games. We have this whole, like, PETA turning into a rock business. Like, <laughs> what? I think the How best argument, like, one of the biggest ways in, like, examples of PETA sucking is from yeah. the rough fourth movie where, mm -hmm. like, it, and it's it's the clearest argument that coin hates Katniss as mm -hmm. Boggs explains to her because there's truly no reason for PETA to be there. Hope you said that like, maybe it's helpful to like for Pan Am citizens to see PETA represented and like maybe, but I think more than anything is coin knows this dude is a loose cannon and is like trying to, fire him directly into Katniss's face. You're yeah. like, you're constantly like, why is this guy here? And it's a moment of like the movie actually like working well, but the thing it's doing well is like annoying you. You're like, why is this character here? And it's like, because coin, because coin knows he sucks and mm -hmm. wants to annoy her. And you're like, well then put me somewhere else. I don't want to be with Katniss. If she has to be around PETA in these movies. Yeah. And then in the end, when they just like curl up in that bed together, I'm just, ugh, it like makes me feel, I'm just like, ugh, I don't even want to like, it's like viscerally unappealing to me. Yeah. No, totally. I will no, say it makes you want to vomit, not eat this movie, right? That's right. How there's plenty of games, not enough hunger. You know, to get back to that a little bit too, Yellow Jackets, mm -hmm. have you all seen it? Yeah. Yeah. I love the buildup where, I mean, they don't cannibalize for a while, but the whole time, you know it's going to have to be like that because you so feel it in your bones that they are starving to death. And they're that's just an inevitability. And I'm going to return again to my point. She should have not just killed PETA, but eaten him. Okay. I, I was just thinking too about um because I was just reading your essays about Snowpiercer mm. and that whole discussion of like the babies and then the but then the people are like you can just have my arm yes. like that's yeah. they're they're going in they're know, showing us what's up. I mean, in terms of I feel like what we're talking about is uh what Mary Carr calls carnality. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, like anything related to the senses. Uh, so in the, the, to me, one of the most, uh, one of the actors who brings the most sensuality in terms of like activating senses in these mm -hmm. movies is also one of the most sensual in terms of being super hot at the, in her oh. first appearances is Jenna okay. Malone. 
as Joanna when she like yeah. gets undressed in the like in yeah. in very non sexy movies when she's getting undressed in the elevator you're like damn Jenna Malone and then it, it towards the end when she's so emaciated when she's Ugh. so skinny like you you feel her physicality in these yeah. movies like quite a bit I agree yeah. She's she's incredible. I had a hard time uh, placing her initially because I think there was a kind of gap between when I'd seen her mm. um, as a child actor, right? Oh, um, okay. But she's she's wonderful. I I was she's kind of really wondering good. what has what has happened to her career. I mean, yeah, she's due for a renaissance. She really is. Um, yeah, I'm remembering her as a uh, as uh, the little girl in, let's see, uh, stepmom. She's also um, the young version of Jodie Foster in Contact, and there's some real heavy lifting for her in that. And I think she was like seven or eight. I mean, she's a prodigious um, actress, and kind of underutilized in these movies all of this this incredible arc is happening for her kind of in the background and i was also wondering about that especially when she gets saved with Peta. i'm like fuck Peta again why are we spending any time with Peta? she is so much more interesting so and i have so many more questions about what her experience was mm-hmm. um being detained and what it's like for her to come back and, and you're only really left with her physicality um to 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 read that from but um i agree it's also interesting that she is another kind of unlikable woman like in the Mm -hmm. way you were saying dave it's like we're supposed to read katniss and everybody keeps talking about katniss as like you need to be more warm people need to love you um but there even is that conversation between the two of them where um what's her name in the movie it is Joanna, right? Joanna. Yeah, Joanna. Um, you, I don't know if it's Katniss. It's like, you should have been the Mockingjay. And Joanna's like, well, nobody likes me. Mm. And how it's like, both of these women are presented as these unlikable women, but it's like, who do we get to embrace or love or whatever? Yes, yes. Yeah, I like you, Jenna. Alone. I think this is a good time to talk about the directors. So the first film was directed by Gary Ross. He directed very few movies, but he he wrote Big, which I thought was really interesting. He wrote Dave. That do you all remember that one with Kevin, Kevin Klein. Klein? Yeah, yeah. I never the saw presidential it, swap. I, yeah, just these. I mean, coming. He's at, into body swap movies. He's into body swap. Yeah, I actually didn't think of that. Sing also... monosyllable body swap. <laughs> yes. Um, he also directed uh, Pleasantville, though, um, and Sea Biscuit, and then he came into this weird trajectory. I don't yeah. really understand how he got that job. Clearly, he didn't keep it because then he was replaced by Francis Lawrence, who had very little um, film history. Similarly, he just had done Constantine and I Am Legend, which are, you know, big movies. Um, But 
he had a really long career as a as a music video director and a lot of the people he worked with um were like divas right he like he he worked with Beyonce multiple times Britney Spears multiple times J-Lo multiple times Janet Jackson multiple times Shakira you know let's see that Hunger Games oh my god did he do the bad romance music video he did do but he did bad romance he did he did some of like the the classics from all of these ladies too so like run the world girls for Beyonce Bad Romance for Gaga, um, Jenny from the Block for J Lo, mm, damn uh, Shakira's Whenever Wherever. Like he did like the the My top God. Um, videos. So he was he was huge in that world, and then went into this. And I was kind of interested in what you all thought about that. Like her character development seems kind of analogous to how. <laughs> Like character development works in one of these kind of diva <laughs> platform music videos or something like that, right? I don't know. Well, hope <laughs> I know as a Gaga scholar, you might yes. have some thoughts Tell about, about Bad Romance <laughs> and how that fit. Like, what? Why did you ask if he directed the Bad Romance video? Yeah, why that in particular? Oh, I think I just remembered seeing that on the list, and I just mm-hmm. I love. I mean, I love that song so much, but yeah. certainly I could not call myself a scholar. Um, I mean, I do think I was telling Dave this, but I do think it is really funny and awkward the way in which in the last two films, this song becomes somehow so important and they're just like resting or whatever amidst their missions. And the one guy's just, yeah, like asks her to sing and, and then, yeah, this song becomes the song of the revolution. And it's, it's like, Oh, this night, moment where we just this song emerged and and then I found out he was a music video director and I thought that was really funny which by the way Madeline to me reminded me of the uh Silkwood ending her Mm. just singing yeah uh, I was like this is giving me so the 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 acapella actress singing (laughs) like singing a dour song slowly Silkwood vibes yeah yeah, it it felt attached. Agreed, but also it's like thinking- this clear, like, uh, like, w- w- what's it called? Like, slave song, where mm-hmm. they're even Plutarch has to say like, oh yeah, it was called a, a necklace of rope. I had to change it to necklace of hope. You're like, Jesus Christ, dude! Like this, like. Uh, spiritual is the it's the word I was well, looking for. It's weird because I was thinking that too, and maybe don't quote me on this. This could be wrong, but I feel like I did look up to see if that like is a song, and I think oh. it maybe was also like an Irish song or something about like lovers meeting oh. at a tree or something like that. But it does. Well, that I mean, part's it, clear. It definitely does. There's a tree, um, but it definitely does read, like you're saying, like a spiritual. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And and I guess maybe the comment there is like, oh, they're even perverting this like heavily like sort of racialized song yeah, or racialized seeming it. song into a less problematic, streamlined, you know, mm-hmm. revolution yeah. song. It's It's hard to say. It's hard to know what is 
commentary and what is the the moment for me that made and and we can stay in music video territory too because I uh I just but I just thought of this the the moment where I was like oh these movies are not just righteous uh because they did a good job of like convincing me of like some sort of like revolutionary intent you know I was in Mm -hmm. the Donald Sutherland camp but when they show Capital TV and the logo for Capital TV after I think Katniss has hijacked the feed and mm-hmm. the Capital TV logo is red and yellow and they very easily could have made it like red, white and blue, but they mm-hmm. made it red and yellow and it looks so much mm-hmm. and it's like a star. It looks so much like the Chinese flag to me that right. it feels yeah. very like commie coded, you, you know, th- mm-hmm. that's when I'm like, Oh, they're not leaning into a satire of America. They're showing how communists became authoritarians or whatever. They're slapping in like cold war era yeah. Yeah. Um, imagery and this kind of like, I think that the the brand of utopianism that this film series kind of seems trapped in is super dated, right? Of this kind of like totalitarian um, mm. Soviet um, quote fascism, right? Um, it, it's like yeah, we know we don't that get human a sense of how anything works. Yeah, we don't get a, we don't really get a sense of how anything politically works within this system other than that just that there's this horrible donald sutherland figure right who who's tyrannical in every scene and so we're we're kind of led to make assumptions about how that trickles down but um that yeah i would say that that's a problem yeah this is maybe a stretch but it does almost feel like that is another connection to this music video thing. It's like these Mm -hmm. images are doing Mm. so much work. It's like, we're seeing these huge sequences, these huge doors, like opening and closing with the tar, the tunnels. It's like, we are seeing these very visually stimulating long drawn out images, but we are not getting a lot of information. Yeah. About like, who are these people? How does, what are their lives? Like what kinds of things do they talk about? It's like the images are doing so much work. Yeah. And I think that would just to stay with the music video point for just a little bit longer. I I don't really have much more to say with it, but it does seem like that's the kind of, narrative logic of of the movies and how weird you know if we think about music videos as being kind of these compressed narratives I mean he's he's in some pretty um groundbreaking he's he's been involved in pretty groundbreaking music videos um as their director and thinking about how to push that medium but then how weird to be thrown into this world of making these movies and just stretching and stretching and stretching. I mean, these are gluttonous two and a half hour movies. You know, there's a lot of stuff that could be trimmed from them. And there, there's a little bit in the music video sense of like, I know they're there, you know, or certainly again, swimming in the world of symbol 
above all yeah. else. It's like, does it function as symbol? Okay, then we can figure out. It's it's a top down, you, you know, which is which is kind of the only way that this movie can imagine revolutions working as mm-hmm. well. It's always like, you know, you've galvanized the nation. We could be waiting 75 more years if we don't capitalize on this moment. It's like there must be a charismatic leader. Clearly, that's how Snow worked. The District 13, she's already, when we first meet Coin, she's called president. Like, for, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, they've they've elected a president, or she calls herself that. It's called that, yeah. Right, and they, and they so it, the movie can only imagine these the sort of, like, symbolic uh, top-down movements rather than, and anything from the bottom up is the fucking mindless sperm guys. <laughs> yes which felt like a music video too i was like this, yeah. this totally <laughs> works in a music video where i don't need to have any explanation i'll just i'll accept these sperm guys in right. the tunnel fine right you know? mm-hmm. but but it these movies don't other than the 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 song that you're bringing up they don't actually use music very well either <laughs> you know yeah, but they do the use motifs that do do mm-hmm. uh, do you know yeah that is so good and it the feels- capital um what's the different song that they always play when there's like a breaking news mm-hmm, segment mm-hmm. um mm. you know i forget what the theme is of like capital tv or whatever it is but sorry hope i stepped on you no saying. no i just was gonna say there's something because you were saying madeline this way in which we kind of just like accept what's coming at us and these movies mm-hmm. you know talk so much about like nightmares and and i feel like there's something about these movies that almost does feel like being in a dream where it's just yes. like you don't totally have to understand the logic. You're just mm-hmm. like, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm in it. I'm doing this. There's something about it that feels not worldly. Yes. And that's what can be really comforting about it, too, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too, yeah, because they're provocative. There's an, a, enough content to to latch onto if you're going to kind of watch it in a casual, watchable mm-hmm. way, right? But that was, I I love the point you're making about the dream. So while we were watching the fourth one last night, my partner, Kyle, was convinced that the the end was some kind of fantasy or dream. Mm. And we kept kind of waiting for the moment where we were supposed to be pulled back. (laughs) It it just didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) And I was kind of thinking about, like, we talked about um, this stupid theory about uh the end of taxi driver oh mm-hmm. that like he actually travis bickle actually died in the end mm-hmm. and that you know you're kind of watching this fantasy play out in this kind of heavenly way or something like posthumous way or something mm-hmm. and i w- <laughs> i kind of like the idea that actually cat <laughs> I'm I'm coming up with lots of alternate plot points where she eats Peta, and she's also swarmed. Um, after she, I mean, why wouldn't she also be swarmed at that moment where she and she is assassinates Coin and right, doesn't. right, right. That's such they a good just point. Go for her. So that would be cool if they killed her and. <laughs> 
But if she that cooks pita, end. it has to be in a very delicious Julia Child-esque way that makes our mouths water. Yeah, in the cave. In the Oh, yeah, we're right. In Super early on. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted her to, to eat him then. I mean, did you all have that when you were watching Yellow Jackets of of feeling satisfaction when they finally do eat human flesh? I the, the second season of Yellow Jackets I found very disappointing. I thought uh mm. the, the all the focus on I only want the cannibal stuff. I don't care about like I like the teas. I like I like the tease. No, I want to know more. The pregnancy stuff is very like visceral to me too. Yeah. Which feels like it goes along with, I mean, I haven't been pregnant, but with hunger and this like cravings and this like visceral quality of like what you're, what you need, like what your body needs. Yeah. Yeah, I can speak to that. Absolutely. Um, That is the case with pregnancy. Yes. Yes. I know. No, but the hallucinatory, I mean, cause she starts hallucinating after she gets stung in catching fire, but shouldn't she just be in like a hunger hallucination like the whole time? Right. And right. then she realizes halfway into eating pita that she's made him into this delicious roast in the cave. You know, what have I done? I mean, you're really making I me think it's of too late. I'm just going to keep eating. Have you seen, have you seen ravenous Madeline? <laughs> I haven't. That movie spooks me i wonder i got, I got it's scared really off good. by the people it's I saw. so and it's so funny it's really I, yeah, I really I'll wonder i feel like you could handle it but there yeah there's definitely some some kv and you must be a robert carlisle fan right i am yeah 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 i yeah, know um, i it is weird these weird uh kind of pressure points where like i can watch vampire movies and i think based on yellow jackets i I can watch cannibal stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, it doesn't bother me. And it's more implied. You're almost never getting a, like, person gnawing on another person's leg situation. I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, we're getting to but, the point where it's almost time for a genre reveal because yeah, because we're se- we are becoming a kitchen <laughs> soup, as you said, Madeline, <laughs> seeping away from the talk of the movie. But I have two, and we're really hungry. I right, you're making me. You are making me hungry. Two <laughs> questions, one silly, one serious. I'll start with okay. the serious question, and it's it's a return to the sort of individualist stuff. It's it's. And 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 I'll I'll also just finally preface it by saying maybe it's unanswerable, but I still want to ask: Is does this movie can it imagine a heroism beyond individuality? I would say yes, but it's in very small moments that we have that to grasp onto. Like what? Like the tree climbers, my beloved tree mm. climbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree that it has those moments and that it's confused about what to do with them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I would say that the heroism it attributes to any individual is is a false one. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, yes. That's yes, why yes. I do think if she had been swarmed too, mm-hmm. it would have been much interest more interesting ending, right? Of yeah, 
all of the, I mean, she's in that trajectory of leader figures, right? And she retreats, yes, and becomes a trad wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But like, what if they'd eaten her too? I mean, they're probably really hungry. And I think you really have a whole (laughs) other timeline for these movies. Why are they eating the sperm guys? I feel like like, you are pretty good flesh. I feel like the tracker. I feel like this whole episode has been tracker jacked and people may not be able to tell what's like. Basically, they're going to have to stop at different points of the episode and go real or not real. It's all a dream. Yeah, it's um, all a dream. Thank you. But I yes. do feel like there's also a little bit of collectivism, maybe in the film crew, because I feel like they're asked like, "Oh, were you rescued? Were you like recruited for this? Were you swept out of this?" And they're like, "No, we left. We're showing up for this because we believe in this cause. It's not about us. We are like documenting it." I feel like they mm. have a little bit of that spirit too, but it's you know like small that. little tendrils. Okay, my final pre-genre review. Wait, what's your answer to that question, though? Uh, I I uh, I agree uh, with your your two answers. That's my answer as well. That's kind um, of a cop out. I I don't I I I asked because I really didn't have an answer. I think I oh, think okay. it what what scares me about these movies because I did at one point think. And I guess still think to to some extent, like, damn, these are kind of, uh, you know, revolutionary for mainstream action movies. What scares me is like, it's really hard to identify any moment that Katniss is cares about anything than her own priorities. Um, and there's moments mm. where that the movie is saying like, look how fucked up that is. And there's movie, there's moments when the movie I think is saying like, and that is right. And, or at the very least, and none of us can escape those things. Um, mm-hmm. And so, so I guess, yeah. So, but, but I, I, I think the tree climbers is such a fucking legit yes. good moment. Maybe the, and it's certainly, it feels like it's comes right around the same time. Maybe the, damn attackers mm-hmm. as well yes um, yes those those big moments where people where they are like coordinated you see people like some people are unfortunately like destined to get shot because they're at the front other people are carrying the explosives in the cases like they've you know mm-hmm. even accidentally show planning that's gone into these things as opposed to the sperm guys mm-hmm. who are just like mindless eating machines and planning to me that implies like deep trust and relationship like especially with the mm-hmm. tree climbers i'm like there's mm-hmm. no hesitation like when the moment comes yeah. they're like we're doing this we're together like those are some of the only people where i'm like i do feel like these people have relationships with each other we don't get to see it at all but like i do feel it at least yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, I think I that totally I think agree. the movies like heroism is it, it, the things I've learned about heroism from talking with you all about this and from thinking about these movies is that extreme versions of it are easier to digest, I think for people. Like so much of this season we're we're having trouble being like well, everyone's kind of a hero and a little bit of a villain, you know? And the the super clear aspects of, of this one are, like, very 
problematic, you know, and and feed mm-hmm. maybe some of the right wing tendencies, uh, or at least toothlessness sure. of the critique. And I think uh, that's yeah. That so so I I really appreciate this conversation for helping. She's kind of a girl it. boss, you know. She's oh, yeah. a girl boss, yeah. princess warrior, but she has that um that kind of problem at her at the heart of her character. So, so I I like how you put that. So my Okay, d- what's the silly question? My silly question. Yeah. Uh what do you want your skill to be in The Hunger mm. Games? I will say I don't know if it is my actual answer. It seems like Beatty's thing of basically using different wires to electrify people is probably the smarter way to go. But I just think fast knives looks really fucking cool. When they're like throwing these fucking knives really fast, that that seems and like very accurately, I think I think I would have to go with fast knives. Okay. Do you have a what would your skill be, Madeline? I don't know. Do you know Hope? Like the skill for the audition? Is that what or you just mean? Like, just like what, you know, the I, thing I'm that torn about, skill. Yeah, like what skill actually would help me survive versus what, like, yeah, would be cool in the audition. I, I guess know. either. Either, 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 one. either all. Well, okay, so the skill I'm thinking of, but then I'm like, it wouldn't actually help me because these aren't real animals is like befriending animals and just like working mm. with the animals to survive i guess i don't know what that looks that's like good. but that's maybe, cool maybe your skill would be so strong that you could befriend computers even the robos robo animals the mutts <laughs> i don't know uh, that's that's all i've got for now i'll have to keep thinking i think mine would be like um something like herbalism or something like this it seems like if you could identify what all the plants are and and hope you and i could hang out together you know mm-hmm. and what? you'd befriend the animals i would identify the herbs and then i would also choose which humans to to kill like because yeah. we'd also maybe maybe you'd like make an exception like eat pita Right. If I killed him for you, we could have a nice cave and our, we could have a fire, but we would have the herbal knowledge so that it wouldn't produce a lot of smoke. It wouldn't give us away. I'm, I think I really like this alliance. Yes. Well, this sucks. (laughs) I just have me and my fast knives just over, I'm just over in a corner of the forest, just whipping them around at people. You're like, do you need to eat? I'm like, the fast knives. I love that you also uh, seem to have unlimited supply of them. Like you never have to go retrieve. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. That's like, what I need. I need to just be able to pull. Yeah, like a Pez dispenser of knives <laughs> on my back that I whip. Um, I also though think that there's something about bow and arrow that a lot of the coolest heroes have a fucking bow. Like Robin Hood. Oh yeah, totally. Like it's a fucking cool look, dude. Bow and arrow is a sick. Is a sick look. It's also really very scary, though. Like to me, one of the you know we need to talk about Kevin. That's like one of the most haunting, uh, yeah, images to me Jesus, to this day. Hope you gotta okay, sorry. Shit. Oh. <laughs> I just want to bring up the Sopranos too. When the kid shoots the other kid with the arrow, I didn't, Sopranos. I, didn't know. I haven't spoiler seen spoiler alert. I thought <laughs> I thought it's Sopranos a really was a, point. a show about people <laughs> not shooting happens. each other with arrows, and uh, turns out. No, that's what happens in the last scene. 
of the mm. Sopranos. Oh shit! And then it cuts to Journey. Well, no, that's not. <laughs> okay, let's do a genre reveal. <laughs> Okay, should should we go? I'm kind of inclined to go movie by movie. Have yes. each of us say our yes. our ones. Okay, we can um, be succinct in them, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then we can okay. kind of talk about the 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 swirl. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever has stuck out to us at the end. Mm-hmm. Okay, what is the genre of the original Hunger Games? My answer is deconstructed reality TV. All right. Mm-hmm. Madeline? Mm-hmm. I called it a Oh. So the Leviathan. Thomas Hobbes is Leviathan. Okay. That's cool. But a Rom. Okay. So we're trying to figure out like a romancing the stone or jewel of the Nile kind of a, an angle too, but I couldn't. Okay. I just want to say I'm not feeling great about my individual genres. I feel more confident. I, my brain really latched onto like an overall genre, which I can share later if you want, but, but the individual ones, my brain really was just sliding up against the wall. Okay. Okay. My individual genre is berries. Okay. That's that's good though. Okay. Uh, I called catching fire. A conspiracy thriller. Madeline? Poisonous fog. Hope? Spin. Okay, okay. She's got the really good one word. I know, dude. I know. I I know. I love that. Then Mockingjay Part 1. I, you guys are you guys are prefacing. I just want to say I know mine are very traditional genres, but for whatever reason that feels like because you're a trad wife. I am a I am a trad wife. Uh, Mocking Jay Part One is media criticism. Madeline, mm. post traumatic stress dystopia. Okay, hope. Roots and trees. Mm, yes. Okay, I love this. I love this. The the fourth okay. movie, Mocking Jay Part Two. I called it a war movie. <laughs> Uh, mine is fascist Eden. Mm, uh, hope. Let me uh, hold on a second. I want to guess guess hopes. Okay. Hopes is um is uh, bubbly bubbly tar black but black tar. What it's, really? It's tar, which is the one I feel the best about of all four. Oh, I'm like that's a really the good fourth one, one yeah. is fucking tar. Okay, can I get some credit for getting that right? (laughs) That was okay. A, that's really good. Yeah, bravo. And can it have the accent like the? (laughs) Definitely. Absolutely. There's some Um, similar stark landscapes. (laughs) I love it. Well, hope. What is your overarching? Because first of all, I don't know why you are feeling self conscious about those. Were all like incredible. So good. They're better than Dave's for sure. Okay. Okay, let's come down. You guys already have your little cave. Okay, don't make me pull out the fast knives. Our Menzies tent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that's what? another thing. What the fuck are they doing? Another like practicality that we know nothing about anyway. I know. I guess they just don't. <sighs> I guess not. What's your overall? Okay. Genre? 
I'm going to read it because I did write it down. Okay. Overall genre of the four Hunger Games movies. Unwilling hero with friends wakes up on death TV. Mm. Nice. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like it. Do you have an overall genre? Me? Yeah. No. Why am I saying it that way? Do you? (laughs) Well, I was saying it that way, like in the way that like, I would feel like I didn't do a particular part of the homework going to class. Oh no. Hope just did extra credit. Were we credit. supposed to do part three? Hope's hope yeah. Well, hope, you and I are in it. the back of the class being like being like, what the fuck is she talking about? But then you're secretly after class like meeting up with her and I'm like, wait, I'm just a, I'm in the back of the class and I just got fast knives. What's this bullshit? Sorry, buddy. Yeah. I'm stealing your lady. <laughs> well, I like, I think Berries is amazing. Spin. Trees. I think Roots and Trees is very, is, is. I like that. It really encompasses a lot. The, the planning, the. And the it's really the only movie in which we see much of interconnected struggles mm. like in the fourth movie we don't see really what's happening at all outside of this main group but the third movie yeah. we're like these guys are doing the dance these guys are doing the trees you, you know we see we see the roots connecting <laughs> you like guys that. on trees yeah. you guys on dance you got you get cats you you teach medicine yep <laughs> no it's a good way of kind of um getting at the political fluctuations between these, which I think is really bizarre. And I, I think I will return to them maybe in, you know, a year or two and think more on that. Yeah. Um, because like, what a great artifact of 2012 to 2015. Mm-hmm. It, at the very least, it gives us that. So yeah. Worth a rewatch. Well, that's all. That's all I've got. Hope. Thanks for uh, dealing with us. Hope. Yeah. Oh my this gosh. Was really Thank you fun. so much for having me. How do feel you feel free about to edit any first... of my stuff out? I'm not. Okay, we'll edit precious. it all out. Okay. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about your first podcast episode? It was really fun. I'm really glad it was with you both. Good. Aww. Are you ready that to launch really to launch your own show? No. Okay. But. But I, this was a really fun, great experience. And it's, I just love talking about any, you know, media and art with other people. And so I really appreciate that. Do you have Same. something you would like people to, to find you at? Or to, do you want to plug your newsletter? Do you want to, any, anything? I mean, I don't really think so. People, I guess people can can look at my Instagram if they want to, but okay, no, cool. You're so cool. You're just out there with the berries and the roots and the trees and stuff, and it's just, I love it. Well, you can catch me and the Fast Knives on my other podcast. This is your afterlife, and yeah, I I feel like I feel like it's been 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 hitting a new stride after some time off so uh, uh, listen to that madeline do you have things you want people to do no not really okay just chill 
just chill people 2024 uh needs to be a better year so it's not though figure out how to make that happen in lots of ways yeah and part of it needs to be chilling a little bit give me money like put your energy towards the things that you know that really matter like giving me money don't yeah, that's. I mean, that. I think. I think that's fine. Helping Dave. Yeah, give, get by. Yeah, is good. give me money. You know, but just think about where you're putting your energy out into the world. Like, and I don't mean to say that in like a hippy dippy way, but just like. Letter away. Thoughtful about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. be thoughtful about what you're doing with yourself, and um, if that involves direct action, that's wonderful. Like I, giving I me money. That. that is direct action. That's a form of direct action. Yeah. So just think about the different ways to give me money. Chat GPT is giving this guy tons of loot. Yeah. So don't all worry right. about him. Well, all party people, that's been real. Thanks for your time at the barbecue. And, and let's peace out at the, see you at the next party. Don't die.